Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Lane Kawaoka about scaling and building a successful team in a wealth management organization. Lane Kawaoka, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Jonathan. Aloha, everybody. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Uh, I was looking back through my back catalog, and it looks like we had our first conversation in the summer uh, where you shared a little bit about your your journey, your your background, and the path you took in your own personal development and your own career development. Today, we're going to be focusing uh, on a, with a slightly different angle, talking about your current organization that you've been building and how you have gone about building a successful team within a wealth management organization. Uh, And as we were talking in the pre-interview, just getting caught up and kind of framing out this episode, you know, it it came up that I think this is, will be of particular interest uh, to listeners who kind of have that more boutique approach in their own organizations and their consulting approach. clientele. Uh, And so hopefully this will be a really uh, insightful conversation that will help other individuals think about how they build out their their teams and reach out to clients with a real customer-centric orientation um, to drive value in the market. As we get started, I just wanted to share Lane's bio with everybody. Lane Kawaoka currently owns 3,500 plus units across the U.S. He lives in Hawaii and recently quit his day job as a professional engineer with an MS in civil engineering and construction management and a BS in industrial engineering. Lane partners with investors who want to build their portfolio, but are too busy to mess with tenants, toilets, and termites, as he refers to it, by curating opportunities in his Hua Deal Pipeline Club, where his investors have personal access to him and know that Lane is personally putting his money on the line too. The Pipeline Club Pipeline Club has acquired over $255 million of real estate acquired by syndicating over $25 million of private equity since 2016. And Lane reverse engineers the wealth building strategies that the rich use to the middle class via the top 50 investing podcast, simplepassivecashflow.com. Lane's mission is to help hardworking professionals out of the rat race, one free strategy call at a time. Uh, Again, it's great to have you back, Lane. 
And I'm excited to talk a little bit more in detail about your organization, what you're doing to help your clients and how you're building out your team uh, to be, uh, you know, to create an effective organization. Before we launch into that conversation, anything uh, that you would like to share with listeners by way of your personal background, um, any context around what we're going to be discussing today? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of learning at this too, right? And I think it's going to be a great conversation. Um, I, you know, like I said, my first life was a professional engineer, working more in the construction industry, actually built railroad. Um, so I was a construction supervisor of, you know, a lot of blue collar staff, guys in their 50s and 60s without a college or maybe even a high school degree. A L- little bit different uh, leadership style works, uh, but that's where I kind of cut my teeth um, leading people. But it doesn't necessarily help me or transfer directly over to working with white collar staff as I am today. You know, working, we currently own 4,500 rental units. Uh, we have an operation side, and then I have my coaching and consulting side where we work with other high net worth individuals to work with their, their money. And, you know, getting those folks straightened away with, the, with staff, it's, it's not quite your uh, spike driving. Uh, laborer or your machine operator anymore. Um, but yeah, yeah, totally, um, yeah, let's dive into this. Very cool. Yeah. And, and for anyone who's, who may have not caught our previous episode, uh, Lane uh, really talked in more depth uh, in that previous episode over the summer about his background and kind of uh, his his journey and trajectory and, and the reason why he he took the path he did ultimately finding himself where he is at today so that could be a a, a useful contextual uh, episode if you're if you're really interested in what we're talking about today okay so now zooming back to the present and we're talking about your your current organization um, tell us a little bit more about how it's grown you already referred to kind of the different divisions the different pieces of what you're doing but how have you built it out and developed it organizationally into its, its different areas of focus? And then we can start talking about how you started to identify the needs um, towards building out your team and, and what went into that process. Yeah. So originally, you know, we used a lot of um, third-party property managers, um, which also have their staff at our, all our properties, you know, the person at the leasing office, um, but they roll up to their HR department and their respective companies. We have sort of a dotted line um, sort of management over them. Um, so, and then we also have other contractors to kind of help me out. But as we've kind of moved along, we've kind of brought a lot of these positions in staff. Uh, we still scale with our property management firm, which is a separate entity. But, you know, a lot of my in-house marketing and customer service staff have, has kind of been taken over in-house that's been kind of the general transition over the term um you know i mean i, I think when you're, any young company starting out you're trying to build the systems you don't know it right so i think that's where logically a contractor firm comes in you know they have a lot of the, the systems processes built in they just need to plug into your organizations your style and how you do it but i think at at some point you maybe come go full cycle and you start to do it in-house. Now, maybe kind of to back up, I mean, I was talking to someone the other day, kind of getting started, you know, they they don't really do any, like the, you got to get yourself off the ground first, right? You got to do it yourself, right? Like anybody else. Then I think you start to transition to contracting it out, paying people, 
whatever it costs. It might be a like a quarterly fee, annual fee, or pay per hour. But I think you've got to figure out how that person does it, build a system and process it the way you want it, and then you have to bring in your own in-house. And I think that's the full cycle, right? Yeah, I, and I think that's a really great description. And that's that's what I've seen um, personally play out as I've um, built out my organization as well. And, you know, reaching out to clients and such, and you really, you start boots by bootstrapping, right? And you're just kind of figuring things out as you go. You're doing as much by yourself as you can. You start to bring in other collaborators. Uh, over time, you start to build out, you know, contracting infrastructure. And then uh, eventually you get to the point where, yeah, you need to hire employees to start doing that work. So as you've found yourself, you know, going full circle and getting to that stage, um, how did you start to identify you know, which positions you could still contract out or have third parties do versus which ones you wanted to bring in house first and hire for? How did you go through that process? Yeah, I mean, typically the, the, the general lens I would look through is if a position is more of kind of a grunt worker, right? It's very repeatable. That is normally the position you start to bring in house first. The more technical positions and you know, this, this can kind of be very like, you know, when you're building railroad, like the signal equipment, right? It's very technical. It's not a person, right? But it's equipment. It changes a lot. Those are the things that you, you kind of look to contract out, right? If, if you're, you know, you're still kind of going with this blended approach, but yeah, you got to start somewhere. So look for those things that are just kind of the grunt worker, the, the repeatable tasks over and over again first, and then slowly move to more of those technical tasks or, you may choose a hybrid approach where you have a certain base of in-house workers and then you outsource certain things as industry changes, right? Like marketing, marketing is sort of the same thing as technology. Things change a lot, right? Like LinkedIn may not work. It may be TikTok, right? Or whatever is coming up the, around the block. You know, your, your marketing channel will change. And that is where if you don't have systems and processes for people to run it, you're going to need to interchange contractors. And what's great about a contractor, you don't feel guilty about firing them, right? You can just get another one. That's their job. That's why they're in that business. And that's why they charge a little bit more than doing it in-house typically. Yeah. And, and as you were describing that, uh, a way that I think about it, uh, and it depends on the business, depends on the organization, right? You described it as kind of the repeatable tasks uh, types of jobs. And that would be a reason why you bring someone in. Uh, to hire them in-house. I think of it in terms of what what are like the core competencies and capabilities that your organization um, needs to be able to do. And th- those are the things that you have to do every day, right? And in some cases, it's grunt work, you know, kind of manual labor type stuff uh, or tedious office type work. Uh, but in other cases, it, it could be anything really, but it's, it's, the, it's the whatever's at the core of what the organization does consistently all the time, that that's enough to justify hiring somebody, um, you know, bringing them, bringing the position in house and actually hiring someone to do that. But when you need highly technical skills that often are shifting and changing, and it's only something that you need to do every so often, it would never make sense to hire, you know, someone full-time or even part-time to do that. And so you contract out, you, um, 
you, you find other ways to get those, to get that expertise and to get those things done. And I, and I think that's, a, you know, that is a healthy way to think about how we scale a business over time so that we don't get bogged down in high fixed, you know, costs and labor costs that can really drag us down and rather just focus on what, what are the things that we need to be able to do and perform consistently day in, day out to, to add value to the market. We're going to build our team around that. And then over time, depending on how much we scale, you know, we might have to bring in other areas of expertise as well, or we may just continue, like you said, with a hybrid approach and ultimately, you know, uh, get the best of both worlds, you know, where we, where we can have this ever-changing kind of technical expertise external to the, to the company that we contract out. And we have our core group of people in the organization that can help it to, to run smoothly on a regular basis. Does that sound consistent and fair with what right. you're describing? I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. I mean, it's, you gotta have some sort of, you know, base level way to kind of look how you strategize, how you use these positions. Another way of looking at it too and I've kind of taken this from um, past companies in much different industry is you keep the in-house staff, the managers, right? But you bring in the technical staff under them to work under the person, right? That's another way of doing it. You bring in the contractors under your in-house person who guides them, the owner's rep in that yeah. circumstance. Yeah. So I, I think that's a, that's a good way to frame it and to, to think through, you know, anyone listening who you're, you're struggling with the same questions about growth and scaling and, and staffing strategies, you know, these are a few different kinds of ways of thinking about it and, and different approaches. Um, so now let's zoom in and, you know, focus specifically on your organization. Um, so now you're starting, you know, you're, you're recognizing you're growing, you're scaling, you're recognizing the need to bring in people in-house and you've identified those those positions that are going to be most important. Um, where are you at today in terms of your staffing and, and the size of your team? And what are some of the other considerations that have gone into how you've gone through this, the the process of recruiting and selecting and getting you know that team put together? Yeah. So right now I'm kind of building up that first ring and rung around me. Right. Like the idea is not one person can manage more than four to five people at a time. Direct. Um, chain of command um, 
you, you see it out there, you see very like, uh, I guess, wide org structures, but in traditional management, I mean, you're not really giving your subordinates the time, right? And that's what you really should be doing. Um, mentoring, coaching, um, and then providing them with the support. And if, if that's the theory, I mean, you, I'm trying to build that first ring around me first, right? And then maybe these persons can get coached up, trained up about the culture, and then ultimately have people under them. But unless you bring people on the bus, who wants to stay on the bus, you don't you don't start to build this first ring. You start you don't start to exponentially grow from there. So that's kind of an important growing pain that. I'm kind of moving through now. Um, you know, I kind of run a small organization, so I'm kind of very close to kind of the end game and sort of where I want my mature org structure to be. But whereas someone who is running a much larger, you know, maybe 30, 40, 50 uh, staff members, you're gonna have to expedite this a little bit, and it's just gonna take a while. But you know, that's kind of the first the first way of kind of going about it. You know, you got to start to build that that first group and. You know, like people, people have come and gone, um, maybe because we paid them too little bit, or they just weren't a good fit, or maybe we just didn't have our own systems, onboarding system and processes put together that they didn't want to work for us. You know, you never know, right? It's either us or the people, you know, it is what it is. But, um, you know, I think it's a matter of just figuring out who's a good match, who's really like going to put in more work than you pay them ultimately. And that's what you want as a business owner. Yeah, you're looking for potential in the people that you hire. And, you know, ultimately, it's it's not about, you know, exploitation of people. But you, when you're talking about exempt uh, positions, you know, they're non-overtime non positions. Um, yeah, you want people with passion, with energy, who are willing to do what it takes to get the job done. Uh, you know, whether, you know, they, they can get it done 40 hours or it takes 50 or 60 hours. Ultimately, uh, you know, we want our workers to you know, work in a sustainable fashion so they don't, don't get burned out and they don't leave. But other than that, you know, get people doing the types of things they're good at that they enjoy doing. And, and you're going to, to be able to leverage that passion. And that's really what startups and that young um, growth companies who are starting to scale, what they really need in that core group. Like you said, that, that first rung around you, you need, you know, really great people uh, to be in those positions because they're, they're going as you continue to scale they're they're going to be the individuals that are going you're going to start to build the outer rings around um, and if you don't have the right people there uh, you know you're going to have headaches and you're going to falter along that growth trajectory uh, so I think that's also a really important point um, you know get get people who are willing especially in a young company in a small growing company people who are willing to put in the time and the effort and recognize that there are going to be sacrifices along the way towards that growth. Um, but ultimately, you know, there's going to be payoffs for this, those sacrifices, right? And that's, that's why we get into our careers and we do what we do. Uh, ultimately, there's always those trade-offs and there's always those sacrifices. And ultimately, we, we have to decide, you know, if I'm a business owner and trying to scale my business, I just have to decide um, how am I going to sweeten the pot? What am I willing to to do for my people. Um, and hopefully you find that nice balance where you get the right people on the bus sitting in the right seats with a good fit with, with shared purpose, with the right skills and capacities to be able to help the organization move forward. And, and it, you know, you start to just mesh and that that's what we want. It's not always easy to happen. You know, it's not always easy to achieve. You, you mentioned even, you know, that you've had people come and go because sometimes it's just not the right fit. 
And I think that's, that's important for us to recognize from the employer end, if someone's not a good fit, because that can drag down an organization, especially one that's trying to grow. Um, but it's also important as, as an employee, you know, thinking about my own career, I need to be thinking about fit. And ultimately, we want to find alignment both directions so that everyone feels like they're winning with this, this employment arrangement, right? Right, right. I mean, I, I kind of take it upon myself. I mean, as the leader, I take accountability that I'd say most times I'm going to take the blame for if something not working out. And I know my minority of the time that it's the person, right? And that's whatever that's right or wrong. That's the mindset that I'm going to go in. And it's important that it's my job to kind of lead and manage them the right way. And part of that is having a, a mission behind it, right? They're not just coming to work every day and kind of doing a bunch of mundane tasks that are, or maybe playing project manager with this interesting project here or there. But these tasks, these projects have to add up to some sort of mission. And for us, it's, you know, there's a lot of bad financial advice put out there by financial planners, by what our parents taught us, buy a house to live in, invest in retirement accounts. You know, I mean, that's what kind of the basis of my, like my path. Like I started investing in real estate right out of college and I was able to quit my day job in 10 years doing it. Right. So for us is to be able to teach that to people and get them away from the wall street mentality um, and help good, hardworking people, right? Like, that's why I tell my folks, like, we're just helping good, hardworking people get on the, the real path to financial freedom and get them freedom from this, this normal 40, 50 year plan where they just get slaughtered. <laughs> they just get, they have to work their butts off and pay a lot of taxes along the road. Now that's something that somebody can get behind, right? They, they sympathize with hardworking people because they're hardworking. And, you know, we're also helping them the same way we're helping our clients, but like, they, they see that in just, they want to make the situation right. And that's kind of our core mission. And that's something that not everybody gets behind. Some people really like it. You know, like that's why we try and look for folks that kind of align with our style, like, you know, the Robin Hood mentality, you know, steal from the rich, rob for the poor in a way. <laughs> I like um, it. <laughs> you, know, create, you know, create this, you know, the, the, create the righteous justice that is, you know, that hardworking people can get ahead. But the truth is, middle-class America are the ones screwed over. They're the ones paying all the taxes that the wealthy don't, and they're paying all the taxes for the poor people, right, who get the get benefit of government entitlement programs. Yeah, so, I mean, the, that passion, that purpose, I, I, that really is so important. And it, it's different for every organization, right? For your organization, it's about wealth, um, growth and, and wealth development and finding, you know, ways to do that. And, you know, name any organization and hopefully they have their vision, their passion, their purpose, and hopefully that resonates and connects with the people who work there. And if it doesn't, you have misalignment and ultimately causes problems for everybody, everybody. So absolutely, when, when I'm <clears throat> looking for someone to join my team, you know, I want someone who believes in what the organization is about, um, who, what we're trying to accomplish. And that, that's almost as important as the, the, the background that they have and the skills that they have. Um, because, you know, you, you, can, you can teach um, skills. You can't always get people to get on board in terms of values and purpose and passion, right? And the energy and just the work ethic and everything that goes into launching a successful business. 
so ultimately, I, I, I think that's, that's an excellent focus. And you've talked about mentoring and coaching and, you know, taking personal accountability and responsibility for the success and the failures of the organization. I think those are all really healthy mentalities to have as we try to lead our organizations and grow and scale them over time. Well, Lane, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. The time has flown by. Um, but before we close today, I do want to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your company, and uh, anything else that you would like to say as we wrap things up and just give the final word on the topic for the day. Yeah, so we offer um, education for folks wanting to build their real estate portfolio, whether that's a rental property out of state remotely where the numbers make sense or jumping into an opportunity alongside with, with us, partnering with, with us. Um, they can go to my podcast, Simple Passive Cash Flow, uh, Passive Investing, or go to simplepassivecashflow.com, uh, reach out to me. My email is lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. Wonderful. Thank you, Lane. It has been a real pleasure. I, I enjoy talking with you every time we get a chance. Uh, I, you're welcome back on the podcast anytime. I hope listeners will reach out, get connected with Lane, find out more about his company, what they can do to help you develop yourselves, your, your wealth, your, your, uh, your resources to achieve your life goals. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.